Hey, this is Pastor Ryan Tucker, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today as Pastor Stephen looks at Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 in his sermon in defense of God's judgment. Take your Bibles this morning, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. It's a series entitled, A Life Transformation. We've been in it for 11 weeks now. And Paul, the guy who wrote Romans through the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, he's sitting there and really he's saying, hey, here's who I was before Christ, here's who I am after Christ. Now, he's not exalting himself, he's exalting Christ. Because, I mean, stop and think, he was the chief prosecutor and the chief persecutor of Christianity. And then he met Jesus. And then he became the chief defender of Christianity. And we're going to see a little bit of that happen in our passage of Scripture today. Uh, first church I ever pastored, a uh, little small church, and uh, didn't have a big staff. Matter of fact, you're looking at the staff of that church. And, uh, and so, you know, I would have to almost lead everything unless I could get lay people to do it. I'll never forget, we were getting ready for vacation Bible school one year. And uh, this, um, I, I would say this sweet lady, but she really wasn't that sweet. So this lady had been in the church for a long time, came up and said, hey, you know, she was always criticizing, complaining everything about everything. Came up and said, you know, I know vacation Bible school's coming up this week. And uh, we don't need to let the little boys and girls go outside and play and come inside because they dirty everything up. And, uh, and we don't need to let them have cookie and Kool-Aid because it, it, you know, it riles them up so much that they break things. And also, we need to make sure that we get the Vacation Bible School literature not from David C. Cook, as has happened in the past, but from Lifeway because if we're not getting it from Lifeway, we're not Southern Baptists. And man, I can ring, you know, just rattle these off all day. And so, so I stopped there and I said, you know what? I've been praying for a lay person that would lead Vacation Bible School. You should lead Vacation Bible School. These are her exact words. No, I don't want to lead it. You plan it. You lead it. I'll let you know what's wrong. <laughs> If you've not been a part of a church for a while, you'd think I made that up. That's a little bit of what Paul's dealing with in chapter 3 of Romans. In chapter 1, he's sitting there and he writes about the, uh, the anti-religious, evil Gentiles. And he's saying, look at these guys, there's, there's impurity in them. Again, they're, they're just so wicked in their living. And the Jews were like, yes, yes, yes. Give it to him, Brother Paul. And then in chapter 2, he's like, hey, let's talk about you Jews who have placed more emphasis in the religion of Judaism than you have God. And they're like, no, 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 go back and talk about the Gentiles. And then he comes to chapter 3, and he combines both, and he's making a definite point here. He's talking about those who may criticize Christianity, and he's going to address, I don't know, some folks say this were hypotheticals. Some folks say that with, you know, people may have approached him with these arguments. And, and some commentators even said that these may have been arguments that he had before he came to Christ. We really don't know there, but here he is kind of taking that defense attorney mode and he's like, okay, let's address some of these arguments. And then he answers the argument or he answers the questions. Look there, Romans chapter three, verse one. We'll just kind of work our way through this. And if time permits, then uh, we'll get through, well, let's just say, we're going to get through verse eight. It doesn't matter what time says, all right? Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Now, remember, circumcision, he's not talking about the physical act, the surgery, but what it represented. For the Jews, it represented the Abrahamic covenant. This is how I know I'm right with God. I do this. So, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. 
chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. So here's argument number one that he makes. Since, well, this is not his argument. This is him saying, I've heard this argument. Since there is no value in religion, then I shouldn't do religious acts. I shouldn't do religious deeds. Here's how it would be stated today. What value is there going to church? Why should I go to church? What value is there in Bible study groups? He answers the question in verse 2 of, is it valuable? He says, much in every way. First of all, he says they, and by they he's talking about the Jews here, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. Can't you hear them saying, okay, okay, I believe that you can't be religious and expect that to get you into heaven. I agree with what you wrote in chapter 2. You, you, you helped me make my mind up. You convinced me, Paul, in what you wrote there in chapter 2. But, but notice what he is saying here. There is value because you have the very oracles of God. Here's how we might say it today. I mean, not you guys in this room, but here might be the argument that is made. Well, you know what? Being baptized. Being baptized never got anybody to heaven. There's no value in being baptized. That's being religious. Walking down an aisle during an invitation, that is a religious act within itself. It will not get you into heaven. Somebody might say, going to church. That is a religious deed. That will not save you of your sin and get you to heaven. So if none of that can save you, what is the value of it? Why, why don't we just drop out altogether, right? Why don't we just shut down all the churches? Why don't we just say religion is vain? Religion is empty. Religion is worthless. What value is there in being religious? We heard what you said, Paul, in chapter 2, and we agree with you. And Paul's like, well, hang on. There is value. You've been given God's Word. Therefore, since you have God's Word, you cannot claim ignorance when it comes to God's will. It may be said this way in the day that we live in today. You know, if going to church won't get anyone into heaven, then, then why should I even go to church? Paul says, well, I'll tell you one good reason. You're exposed to the Bible. You're exposed to the Word of God. We open the Bible Sunday after Sunday. Some of you don't know this. We even open the Bible on Wednesday nights. And we say, here's what God's Word says. Now, I preach from the New King James translation. You say, why? Well, no reason. I just always have. And I love how he states it, the oracles of God. It's a special word. It means finished. It means complete. It means all that we need. The very word of God. I know that there are folks out there who sit there and say, well, yeah, you got the Bible, but then you got to add some additional stuff to the Bible. And you know, that, that wasn't really all there is. God wasn't finished when, speaking when he wrote uh, the Bible or canonized the Bible. We've got to add an extra biblical work, uh, another book. Or, you know, there are folks out there that are a part of belief systems that they say, well, you've got the Bible, yeah, but then this and this and this. And, you know, or, you know you've got our leader who founded our group who, who was up on a hill in, uh, in New York many, many years ago and all of a sudden he found some golden hieroglyphic tablets and that's God speaking to him. Now nobody's ever seen those golden hieroglyphic tablets and what God wrote in those golden hieroglyphic tab tablets has changed over and over. Now, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on a side thing here. Friend, listen to me. I believe all we need to know about God is revealed right here in the Old and the New Testaments. There's no addition needed. Now, can God speak, out, speak outside of His Word? I'm telling you, God can do whatever God wants to do. 
But you don't have to drive home today saying, you know what, man, I'm looking. Maybe if God would write in the sky, here's what I would have you do with your life. Maybe if, if I saw a billboard where, where God said, do this, do that. Why are you looking for all that? You've got all you need right here. And, and so Paul is writing and Paul is saying, I, I know that I told you in chapter 2, religion is bad and, and religion will not save you and religion will not lead you to heaven. But I'm just telling you, there's a good thing of religion. It exposes you to the very word and oracles of God. I believe the Bible's all we need to know to know how to live today. If you're here and you're like, you know what, I sure would like to know, how would God want me to behave? The Bible tells you. How would God want me to live my life? Well, thank goodness the Bible tells you. See, for many of us, it is not necessarily a limited understanding of what the Bible says in a particular area as much as it is we just don't want to do what the Bible says. Listen, the Bible even testifies of itself in Romans 15.4. Look at the screens. Look at what it says in Romans 15.4. He says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. Friend, listen to me. We could not have church if we did not have the Bible. We could not have life groups if we did not have the Bible. We could not have small group Bible studies if we did not have the Bible. My calling is not to stand before you and to be some pep stage, uh, I don't know, pep artist. My calling is not to stand before you and say, I've got a great story. Let me be a good storyteller. My calling is not to stand before you and be some motivational speaker when you walk out of here and you say, well, I wonder if that was religious or not. Friend, listen to me. My calling is to to safely stand right before you every single week, say, take out your Bible, open it up, here's what God's Word says. He said, yeah, there's religious things that are not good, but I'm telling you, it does expose you to the very Word of God. Friend, I believe the Bible's all we need to learn on how to live today, to have a successful marriage. You want to know how you can have a successful family? Well, I'm taking a course. I'm, I'm reading this book from Dr. Phil. And, you know, and hey, go ahead, throw all that aside. Dig in to God's Word. You want to know how to have a successful church? It's found right in the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Be true to the Bible. So what is the value of being religious? Paul would say... Well, well, at least you've got the Word of God written down. And I was studying this and I was reading this. And can I tell you what the Holy Spirit said to me? And by the way, I hate when He does this. See, before I preach it to you, He preaches it to me many times. I can't even sleep Saturday night. Uh, many years ago, I go to a different room. And I love you guys, and I'm thankful to be a pastor, and I love getting to hang out with you guys. But listen to me. If you invite me to your house on Saturday night, just send the food to my house. Because I'm probably not going to come. I, it just, it churns within my soul. And here, as I studied what Paul was writing, listen to me. Here's what the Holy Spirit spoke and said to me. Do you really hunger for this word? Do you really hunger? Do you really want to read it and study it? You know why he said that to me? Not because he wanted me to answer the question, but I believe he also wanted me to say it to you. Can I ask you, how many Bibles do you own? Five? Twenty? How often do you read and study it? Just recently I read a story of a man, this was in the late 1800s, and there was an explosion, and it, it blinded him and terribly disfigured his face and his body. He wanted to read the Bible for himself. 
but he couldn't. So he thought, well, you know what? I can, I can read the Braille Bible. And, you know, and all of a sudden he realized, well, I, I have no feeling. I have no nerve endings. They were all burnt at the end of my fingers. Then he heard about a woman in England who read Braille with her lips. He said, you know what? I'll try that. But his lips had been so terribly burned, he had no nerve endings, no feelings even in his lips. He was so frustrated. He wanted to be able to read God's word. And while he was trying to do it with his lips, he took his tongue and he was licking his lips to give moisture. And then he realized, I I can feel this braille with my tongue. Before he died, he read the Bible from cover to cover four times using his tongue. Man, I'm going to tell you, that that convicted me. (laughs) Here I am with two good eyes. Here I am with two good hands. Do I really, really understand and value the very truth of God's Word? Are we hungry for the Word of God? Paul's like, yes, religion can't save you. Covered that ad nauseum in chapter 2, but it can expose you to the very Word of God. And then he gives the second argument that he's heard. Look in verse 3. He says in verse 3, For what if some do not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words, and you may overcome when you are judged. The last quotation in chapter or in verse 4 is from Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David after he had been confronted with the fact that he was involved in adultery and murder. And in Psalm 51, here's what David says. He says, God, I sinned against you. God, I have been unfaithful to you. Don't miss this. God, I've been unfaithful to you, but God, you've been faithful to me. You've never wavered. You've never failed. You've been faithful to me. And I know that there are some folks today, and here's what they would say. You want to know the reason why I don't go to church? You want to know the reason why I don't have any time, and I don't have any reason, or I don't have any room for God in my life? It's because God's let me down. God's not been faithful to me. I'll never forget, uh, several years ago, I I had a couple say this to me. You want to know why I have no room or time for God? Because we had a five-year-old child who had a terrible disease, and we prayed, God, please heal, heal our child. God, please heal our child. And our child died. We have no time, no room for a God like that. I've had folks say, you know what? Here's why I don't have any room or time for God. Because my daddy got cancer. And I prayed, God, heal my daddy. Heal my daddy. And he didn't heal him, and my daddy died. I've got no room, no time for a God like that. Some people honestly think that God let them down. And they have no room for a God like that. But notice what Paul says. In verse 3, he says, God is faithful. In verse 4, he says, God is true. Here's what he is saying, friend. Listen to me. He is saying that we cannot blame our sin on God. And hear me, we cannot blame the effects of our sin on God. What are the effects of our sin? Well, look around. Sickness, death, suffering, pain. We can't blame it on God. God has always been faithful to keep his promises to us. God has never failed on one of his promises. Now, think about faithfulness. We're not faithful to God, but God sure is faithful to us, isn't he? I mean, let's talk for just a moment about faithfulness. Faithfulness is an all-or-nothing scenario. I'll give you an example. Let's just say that a wife, she, she, she asked her husband this question one day. Hey, I'd like to know, have you been faithful to me in our marriage? And he says, yes, I want you to know I've been faithful to you in our marriage 80% of the time. 
I've been faithful to you in our marriage 95% of the time. I've been faithful to you in our marriage 99.9% of the time. That's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is an all or nothing scenario. You cannot be partially faithful. So with that being said, talking about what Paul is addressing here, let me ask you this question. Can you think of one single time in your past where God has not been faithful and God has let you down? He was not faithful to his promise. And I know that there are probably some folks that could say, yeah, there was this one time. There's this one time where God was not faithful and he let me down. Hey, I get that. I understand that. I want to encourage you today, friend. Listen, the only thing I can say to you is one day, when you understand things the way that God understands things, you'll understand He was faithful to me, even in that. See, the, the reason why you may think that He has not been faithful is because of your lack of understanding when it comes to what's going on and happening right at this time. When it comes to eternal reality, guys, you and I, we, we only see about 2% of that. God sees all of it. And one day when we see the other 98%, here's what you're going to realize. You're going to realize that even in that moment, even in that time where you're like, God, where are you? God, why didn't you keep your promise? God, why have you not been faithful? You'll realize that he was faithful every single moment. And he is true. And he has never upon never let you down. You know, there's something else that we try to do. He addresses it here. We try to excuse our own sin by blaming God. I think James spoke a little bit about this. James chapter 1. Listen to this passage. Verse 13. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and he is enticed. That means, guys, that when you and I sin, we cannot blame God for our sin. We cannot say, hey, God, you know what? You're the one that made me. You made me this way, so God, it's all your fault. Can't do that. And that's hard. Why? Because we're great at making excuses. We're the world champion at excuses. Several years ago, I had the opportunity um, to lead to the Lord and baptize a Tennessee state trooper in my church. And a great, great guy that I got a chance to know and all that kind of stuff. And he would always talk about excuses that people made when he pulled them over. And I'll never forget the one day that I came over the hill, headed home from Martin, Tennessee. And I've shared with you that um, the last thing that God will redeem on me is my right foot. And I came over that hill, and there sat the state trooper. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Maybe he's not going to come after me. And there came the car. And I'm like, oh, man. And we were making dirt nothing. How am I going to pay for this ticket? And then I looked in the rearview mirror, and there was big old tall Andy getting out of his car. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And Andy comes up, and here's what he says. Pastor? Out of all the people that I thought I would have been pulling over today for breaking the law, you would have been the last. What do you say to that, right? And I'm like, oh, man, I am so sorry. I'm, I'm ashamed. And then he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. You're good. Go on home. He ain't like, whoo, thank you, Lord. Predestined from the very beginning of time. Here's some of the excuses that he said people would give him. Um, my speedometer's broken. Or when I had the cruise control on. Or, or, or this excuse, I was just going the same speed as everybody else. Why are you picking on me? But listen to this. He said there was one excuse that he had never heard before. And at the time, he hadn't heard it since until I started telling this story. 
Who knows? He said he pulled over this precious little old senior adult lady. She was driving 70 in a 55. And, and he pulled her over, and he, he walked up, and he said, just a sweet, sweet-looking little old lady. And he said, ma'am, um, did you know that you were driving 70 miles per hour? And she laughed. She said, oh, Sonny, that's not true. I've not even been gone an hour. And, and he said, I thought about that. And I said, well, all right. Um, just, just try to slow down, ma'am. Get, get to where you're going. So you might try that in the next time you get pulled over. I don't know if it'll work for you the way it worked for her. But I'm just saying, we love to make excuses, don't we? The human nature about us is to excuse our behavior. It's not my fault. And you know why we get that? It came from the original mama and daddy. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Remember in the Garden of Eden, God put them in this perfect safe environment and God's like have fun eat all you want be fruitful and multiply the only thing that could have been different is he says and you have ESPN 24 7 but there's one area that I've reserved for myself don't mess with it I reserve for my holiness you know he still does that today the reason why we are such a messed up world is because we do exactly what they did. And sure enough, that's what Eve did. Eve ate from the forbidden fruit of the forbidden tree. And all of a sudden, you know, God comes along and God basically says, whoa, 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 what happened here? She was tempted by the serpent, stepped over the line. She influenced Adam. He ate the forbidden fruit. When sin entered, again, that's the reason why we're in a mess of trouble today. But do you remember how they responded when God confronted them with their sin? The way that most of us respond when we're confronted with our sin. We blame someone else. So he comes to Adam and he says, hey, Adam, why did you do what you were not supposed to do? And how did Adam respond? Well, it's not my fault, God. It's her fault. Hey, wives, you want to know why your husband will not take any blame and blames you for everything? He gets it from his original father. It's not my fault, God. It's her fault. And if it's not her fault, you're the one who gave me the woman. It's your fault. And then Eve says, whoa, 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 it's not my fault. It's the snake's fault. You made the snake. It must be your fault. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. The snake didn't have a leg to stand on. I'm, I'm telling you. You feel free to use that at work tomorrow. That's what we do. We make excuses. We always try to pass the buck. Somebody else. And that's what Paul's saying right here. You can't blame anyone else for your sin. You've got to admit, I am a sinner. It is not God's fault. It's your fault. But then he addresses a third argument. And we may get out of here on time. Look at verse 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, then what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Paul's sitting there and he's like, I'm, you know, I'm kind of having human reasoning right here. But even as a man, I can, I can see what's wrong here. He says, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. I know a few of you are sitting there like, I have no idea what you just read. This makes no sense whatsoever. Here it is in layman's terms. Argument number three. Since I do evil, I might as well go ahead and do more evil so God gets greater glory. There are some people, guys, who think that they don't have to live their lives by any rules, by any laws. They think that they can do whatever in the world that they want to do, and it just, 
it just makes God look a lot better in comparison. I mean, I'm, I'm sinful, I'm wicked, I'm evil, God is holy, He is just, He is perfect, so you know what? I'll just really be imperfect, and that way everybody will see, oh, what a holy, just, perfect God we have. And he answers the argument by saying the only problem is you don't compare yourself to God. God's got a totally different set of standards than you and I do. Matter of fact, he even takes it a step further. He says, you really don't want to compare yourself to anybody. Is that what you're wanting to do? There was a story that I heard. There was this young boy. And he had this puppy. And one morning he said to his mom, Mom, I'm going to go sell my puppy today. Surprised her. She said, really? Really? How much are you going to ask for your puppy? $10,000. She said, $10,000? Well, Mom, you know, he's a good-looking pup. He's trained. And I've taught him a few tricks. $10,000. And she's like, all right. Good luck. He came home before lunch. No puppy. She said, well, where's your puppy? He said, I sold it. Really? You had to back off your price, didn't you? No, ma'am. $10,000. Really? You're telling me you sold your puppy for $10,000? Well, not exactly. Traded him for two $5,000 cats. Mm. That's the problem, guys, with comparing yourself to God. Comparing yourself to anybody else. Totally different set of values. Some folks say, well, you know what, every time I lie, then that just make, makes God look a lot better and God so much more truthful. You ever noticed, you go to a jeweler that knows what they're doing, and we've got some jewelers in our church. They get ready to show you a beautiful diamond or a beautiful set of pearls. What do they do? They, they pull out that black velvet. They're not going to show you that diamond right there on the glass. No, no, no. They're going to put it up against the backdrop of that black velvet. See how pristine this is? See how beautiful this is? Shoot. I'll tell you, they, they did it like 24 years ago when I bought Jennifer's ring at the pawn shop in Blyville, Arkansas. Hey, I was a youth pastor. I had no money at all. And then we've upgraded. Um, but anyway. No, it's against the backdrop of that black velvet. Well, just look how pristine it is. Look how beautiful it is. That's kind of what he is talking about right here, the argument that he is making, that there are some people who say God's goodness is enhanced when you look at it against the backdrop of my wicked behavior. Since I am evil, since I am a sinner, since I am wicked, I might as well live it up because I'm doing a God a favor by sinning in my own life. And I love how Paul responds. That's great. Did you really just say that? I mean, I know you're all about making excuses, but that is a ridiculous excuse. See, there were people in Paul's day, just like people in our day, who say, I don't have to live by any rules. I don't have to live by any standards. I can live any way I want to. Now, I know 95% of the people who say that live in Washington, D.C., but... I can do whatever in the world I want to do. It's called antinomianism. Antinomianism. We've got those folks today. I mean, you don't see people walking around saying, I confess I'm an antinomian. I go to antinomian anonymous. No, they don't do that. But instead, what happens is they'll wear t-shirts that say, no rules, no fear, no limits. I can live any way I want to. I don't have to live my life according to anybody else's standards. I don't have to live my life according to God's standards. I don't have to live my life according to what God's Word says. Matter of fact, I might as well just go ahead and live it any way I want to so God looks more righteous. And Paul says, whoa, whoa. God's righteous, period. I mean, if there was such a thing as a righteous meter, he's already pegged that joker out. 
You living sinful or more evil or more wicked saying, well, this is kind of who I am. You know, this is the nature that I have. Remember what we just read where Scripture says, when you sin, you can never sit there and say, the reason why I'm sinning is because this is the way that God made me. Well, you know what? I just might as well go ahead and do whatever I want to do because when I do that, it'll make God more righteous. God cannot be more righteous. Matter of fact, church, we would not even know the word righteous today if it were not for God. It's part of his character. Therefore, Paul says, unless you repent, you'll not escape condemnation. Here's what that means. Uh, You cannot justify or validate your sinful behavior by blaming it on someone else and blaming it on God. So Paul's addressing these questions and arguments that, I don't know, either he assumed people had, either he had himself before he came to Christ, either he had been confronted with these, but he's dealing with these questions, dealing with these arguments, and I'm sitting there, and as I'm studying, I'm thinking there's a much greater question that I think every one of us in this room should ask. And it's found in Hebrews 2.3. Hebrews 2.3. Consider this question. Look at the scripture. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Here's the bottom line God's holy, God's pure, God's just. I'm not holy, I'm not pure, I'm not just. He must punish sin. We're all sinful, right? One way or another, we're going to have to deal with the punishment of God against sin. I was talking about that one time, and somebody came up to me, and they asked this question, a great, great question. They're like, okay, listen, if God's pure and God's going to have to punish sin, and he knows that we are sinners, then why doesn't God just go a little bit easier on sin? That is a good question. It's a selfish question. But it's a good question. And I said, you know, I guess if there was ever a time where God would have considered going easy on sin, it would have been the day that His Son bore all all our sin. It would have been at the cross. I mean, if there was ever a time where God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I'm just, and I know I, I, know I set this thing into motion, and I, I, I know I'm going to bring condemnation, judgment against sin, but there is my son, my only son, my beloved son, the perfect lamb. The Bible says this, guys. The Bible says not that he just took our sin in his body and went to the cross. It says he became sin. That if there ever would have been a time where God would have said, you know what, I think I'll go easy on sin. Surely that would have been the time. But he didn't. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God turned from his son because he bore and became our sin. That's the reason why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I know the answer to that question right there. God's holy. And Jesus became sin. That you'll either face the judgment of God towards sin, or you're going to have to, you have to stand at the place of the cross. Let me explain it this way. In the early days of pioneers when they were settling the West, prairie fires would happen and it would ravage everything. I mean, they would look up and they would see the smoke, they'd see the fire, it would be right on them and and they're like, my my goodness, let's just grab as much as we can, as quick as we can and they would take off running and the fire would come in and it would burn down their homes, their barns, they'd lose all their livestock and this happened, history tells us this happened over and over and over again and then all of a sudden one day, guys, one day somebody said, hey, how about we fight fire with fire? 
And so what happens is that they, they would look off in the distance and they would see the smoke and, and they would see the, the flames of the fire starting to make its way toward their home and barn and livestock. And they're like, all right, let's do this. Let's burn all the property around our home, barn, and livestock. It'll be a controlled burn. Let's burn it until we feel comfortable and then we'll put it out. And that's what they did. I mean, we have controlled burns today, right? I mean you got to do that in Florida. And what would happen is, they burned that entire area around their valuables. When the fire made its way, they just stood right in the middle of the burned out zone. And their fire would go around them. Well, friend, listen, I want to tell you, God's judgment has already been sent to earth. God has judged sin. The very, the very fire of, of his condemnation, again, not against you as the sinner. I mean, God loves you as the sinner, but God is repulsed by sin. But that day on the cross, his fire fell. And I'm telling you today, God's judgment will come for your sin. He says condemnation will come for your sin. But if you'll just stand in the burned out zone of the cross of Christ, it'll safely pass you by. You see, the argument that Paul is making is, hey, there are folks out there, and he uses the terminology Gentiles, the terminology Gentiles, not necessarily talking about a group of individuals. Yes, he was at that time, but the Gentiles were known as pagans. So he's like, look at those evil people over there. And again, the Jews are like, yeah, Brother Paul, preach it, brother. They even clapped. They weren't Baptists. They clapped. I'm going to tell you something shocking today. First service. They clapped probably seven or eight times while I was preaching. I don't know what y'all's problem is. Usually I get on to them in the first service. I'm going to change my stance. You say, well, why, why should you clap? Hey, not about me. Not about anything I can do. Not about anything I can say. Not any eloquent story that I can come up with. Not some way that I might coerce you into anything. but because he has made a way. My judgment, it has fallen. There's safety at the cross. And then in chapter 2, he's like, oh, you religious people. Uh -huh. Some of y'all believe that your religious deeds, that's going to satisfy God's wrath and judgment. No, no, it's not. Please hear me. Chapter 3, here's what he says. You know, I know that I made a strong, strong uh, defense and argument in chapter 2. Religion is bad. Religion is bad. Remember, I even told you before, stood before you and said, I hate religion. I hate religion. I hate religion. And in chapter 3, here's what he is saying, guys. He is saying, well, you know, religion's not bad as long as you don't let religion take the place of a relationship with Christ. Like gathering in this place, opening up the Bible, that's a good thing, right? Being a part of a church that invests in the lives of children and teenagers and, and, and families and a, and a place that we can gather together and a place that we can send people out and a place that God calls people to full-time vocational ministry. I mean, I'm just saying, being a part of a place like Highland Park, it is a great, great thing. I love being in the worship services. You heard that before. I love standing out there, getting to see folks come up and down. Can I tell you, I love how crazy it got here with a thousand kids running these hallways for VBS. But then I just got my coffee and went in my office, but I loved it. What if they tear these buildings down, all those young kids? Well, you know what? We'll build them back. I'm more in, interested in making sure they know that God has made a way through His Son, Jesus. So Paul's like, hey, this religious stuff is not bad. It's what you've made it. 
please hear me, friend. What drives me to do what I do is not to get you to be a part of this church. It's not to get you involved in one of our outreach programs or missions or ministries. Please hear me. It's not to create a safe environment where we can enjoy community. Isn't that the catch word today? Every time I read a book on church growth, community, community, community. It's all about community. We've got to build community. I just want to write one, and here will be my title. It's all about the cross. And that's what he's saying. Hey, you evildoers. Now, I mean, y'all know, you're sitting on the road with them. You evildoers. Jesus is the only one that can save you. Hey, you really good religious people. Jesus is the only one that can save you. What's the theme of Romans? Well, we come up with cute titles, graphics and all that kind of stuff. I don't come up with it. We've got some people a lot smarter than me here that do. But we could, I could kind of tell you the theme of every book study we're going to do. <laughs> Jesus. We, we just finished the life of Abraham six months on Wednesday night. The Bible says, look at this great man of faith. And we get about halfway through and I'm like, oh, the Bible missed that one. That joker was a mess. This Wednesday night, see, we did Abraham just to wet your whistle a little bit. This Wednesday night, for those of you who would dare to come back, you're like, I can only handle church one day a week. Mm. We're going to start the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, we're going to study five, six, I don't know, 15, 20 weeks through the book of Habakkuk. Well, what's Habakkuk about? Well, it's about this guy, and he's having questions with God. It's, 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 it's the conversation between he and God. And, you know, I, I can't even remember the, exactly the name of the series. I, I want to say we titled it Got Questions or something along those lines. Here's the theme, Jesus. Well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were foreseeing. They were putting faith in the coming Messiah, in the, in the coming Savior. We're on this side of it, and we're saying, I put my faith and my trust in the one that has come and the one who's coming back again. But, but, but it's all about Jesus. You ever done a study of Leviticus? Yeah, that'll bless your heart. It's all about Jesus. John, don't you love John? Can you be saved and not like the book of John? It's all about Jesus. We'll sit there and our music guys will say, hey, hey, you, you got anything you'd like for us to sing this week? What's your theme going to be? When I came here, that happened. We would meet and here's what the theme's going to be and here's all this and we're going to select songs. And eventually, I just got to the point, I said, I tell you what, you guys sing about Jesus. I'll preach about Jesus. I think we'll be all right. Mm. it's what Paul's saying it's what Paul's saying don't be religious don't think good religious things are going to make you right no personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ Jesus Christ I believe that you died for me I'm trusting the work that you did on the cross and I'm asking you to take the judgment that belongs to me and receive it so that the fire of condemnation will not fall on me. And that's the reason why when you look around, some of these folks that are singing about the cross and about forgiveness and about heaven, and there's tears running down their cheeks, and you're like, what's wrong with them? Hmm. Here's what I'd say. They've never forgotten what it was like to be lost. God, let that be me. Bow your heads with me today. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Let's just ask those questions. Where are you? Have you personally turned your life to Jesus? And you have a relationship with him. Please hear me. Religious deeds, they're not bad. <laughs> they're good. As long as you're not putting your trust in them to get you to heaven. 
Matter of fact, the very religious things that we do point us to the Word of God that says it is only through Jesus that you are saved. How then shall we neglect so great a salvation? God's already done all that needs to be done. And today, he longs to have a relationship with you. You say, okay, you've convinced me. What, what do I do? That's the beauty of it. There's anything that you could do to forgive your own sin, to escape the judgment of God. I think most of you would have already done that. I know in my own life, it seemed as though the harder I tried to do to escape judgment, the worse it was. No, his salvation is a gift that you receive by faith. That today, right where you are, you just call upon the name of Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. I want to follow you all my life. Please hear me. Please hear me. Is that what you would do today? Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D, P-A-R-K, dot org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.